John chapter 7, verse number 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, our understanding of this scripture is accurate and that our application of this scripture is accurate. Touch our hearts, stir the children of God. We ask, Father, that you would bless this message toward the lost as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you are probably all aware, this is day number 365 of the year 2023, the last day of the year. In asking the Holy Spirit for a message for today, he laid on my heart the words, in the last day. Isn't that appropriate? In the last day, the great day of the feast, The Lord Jesus cried to the crowds in the temple, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. With the last day, the last day of the feast, the last day of the year, I'd like to urge you once again to go to the Savior before the last day is your last day on earth. Yes. The feast about which the scripture is speaking is the very joyful Feast of Tabernacles. We are given that fact in verse number two of this chapter. The whole chapter is related to this feast. Early on in the chapter, we're told that when his brothers, the physical brothers of the Lord Jesus, said that they were going up to Jerusalem for the feast, Jesus said that he wasn't ready to go. He wasn't going. They assumed that he wasn't going at all. But that wasn't the case. The Lord intended to go to the feast. He just went a bit later. He and his his disciples may have taken the short route through Samaria while everybody else had to leave a couple of days early so they could go on to the east side of the Jordan River and travel down that way. Down in Jerusalem, there was a lot of interest in Christ. And people were looking for him for various reasons. Some wanted more of those miracles that he performed. Others were looking to take and arrest him, perhaps even execute him. There's quite a bit of interest in him. And that takes us to verse number 25. Then said some of the people of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? This sets the stage. This uh, describes the atmosphere of the city of Jerusalem during this festival of tabernacles. Many of the Jewish holy days were very serious. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement which was 11 days prior to this particular day. That was a very serious day. But the Feast of Tabernacles was one of Israel's more festive and happy national celebrations. For the Jews, it was very much like our Thanksgiving. I've had many people tell me that Thanksgiving is their favorite holiday of the year. And I can understand that. That makes perfect sense. 
Four days after Yom Kippur began the eight days of Sukkot, or as we know it, the Feast of Tabernacles, or as it's explained in Leviticus, the Feast of Booths. 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 Which is it? Booths. Booth. Some of the events surrounding this day are given to us in the Old Testament. We read some of that in Leviticus 23. More is described in uh, Numbers chapter 29, I believe it is. Uh, and we won't spend a lot of time looking at that. I have about a dozen books in my library which describe Jewish general life during the days of the Lord Jesus during earlier days, the days of David, and some of them extend their descriptions on into Jewish life today. But it's like the old adage from the days prior to digital clocks. I have a dozen books dealing with these subjects. The man who has one watch knows what time it is. The man who has three watches, well, he's just not so sure because they don't agree with one another. Some of the events surrounding this day are given to us in the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, things have changed since then. There has been progress in the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles over the years. So that by Jesus' day, it wasn't quite the same as it was in Moses' day. And things have changed since then as well. I bring this up because to understand the full impact of our text from John chapter 7, we need to know what was going on around the Lord that day. So please turn to the book of Leviticus, third book of the Bible. In verse 33, we read, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. And then there is an eighth day. And the eighth day is emphasized in, in numbers. Skip down to verse 40. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, Branches of palm trees and boughs of thick trees, willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month for the rest of the history of Israel. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generation may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They dwelt in these booths, they dwelt in these tabernacles for 40 years before they entered the promised land. Numbers 29 adds more detail in regard to the sacrifices that were made. And it emphasizes once again that there was an eighth day. It appears that it was on this eighth day that the events of John 7, uh, 
the scripture we've read from uh, John 7 took place. During the Feast of Tabernacles, all Israel was to gather in Jerusalem. This was one of those festivals that everyone's supposed to come. On the day after Yom Kippur, the people began to build temporary dwellings, tents if you like, lean-tos, and with so many visitors from around the country, every yard, every, every park, every empty lot was occupied. These temporary dwellings were called sukkots. I have read that the roofs were to be made of natural materials. Boughs of trees formed the framework for these, these sheds. And then willows covered them over. As time progressed, and they did this year after year, especially those who lived in Jerusalem had the opportunity to plan ahead, and those uh, sukkots were well decorated. There were uh, grapevines and flowers, etc. Mostly natural things. Natural things. The people did this to remind themselves of God's grace. In the grace the gracious blessing of salvation from Egypt. And then there is the fact that throughout these 40 years, the Lord met their needs. Again and again. Constantly. The Lord met their every need. They couldn't do much for themselves during that time. They were dependent on the Lord. These booths were to take the hearts of Israel back to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. But again... Over the years, times changed, and since this was the fall of the year, and in fact, even Moses referred to it, after the, uh, the harvest is when this takes place. So over the years, it became the Jews' thanksgiving. Remembering what the Lord has done for us in our salvation, and what the Lord has done for us in more physical ways. Another added aspect to the worship during the Feast of Tabernacles involved the drawing of water. We remember that twice during the 40 years, Israel began complaining of thirst. And the Lord miraculously supplied water to meet their needs. We're talking about millions of people, a great deal of water, a marvelous miracle. The drawing of water during the time of the tabernacle, the festival of the tabernacle, reminded Israel of that particular blessing from the Lord. Every day, for each of the seven days of the feast, there was a water ritual. But on the eighth day, it was done to a more grand scale. This is what I have read, so it may be accurate, it may not be accurate, this is what I have read. Standing in the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, one of the priests blew the shofar, that ram's horn. And he did it with all his might so that basically all of Jerusalem could hear the blowing of the ram's horn. Then a specially selected priest passed through the water gate out of the temple and he went down toward the south. Carrying a golden pitcher, he led a, 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 a joyous uh, musical procession to the Pool of Siloam. 
There isn't a lot of water in Jerusalem, and this was basically the water source for the city and the stream that ran into it. Once he got to the pool of Siloam, he put his pitcher into the water, and he recited Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Then that priest turned around, and he went from Siloam back to the temple. As he came into the temple grounds, he was met by another priest who was carrying another pitcher. This one was filled with wine. At that point, the shofar was blown again, but this time it was with three long blasts. And together, the two priests ascended the ramp to the great altar and poured out their liquid offerings to the Lord. During this ritual, the people who were gathered in the court of the women sang the praises called Hallel, Psalms 118, excuse me, 113 to 118. And at the appropriate time, at the conclusion of the uh, 118th Psalm, more priests holding willow branches marched around the great altar reciting Psalm 118.25. Save now, I beseech thee, Lord, Lord, beseech thee, send thy prosperity. Following the singing and the chanting, everyone was to become very quiet. They were to meditate on what they had seen, what was supposed to be illustrated in this. They were supposed to express their desire for personal spiritual refreshment. Save now, O Lord. Save now, O Lord. Only God's Spirit, symbolized by the water, could satisfy their thirsty souls. And then, after a benediction, the celebration came to an end, and everyone went back to their sukkahs once again. Now, in John 7, the Lord Jesus was somewhere in the crowd, watching that drama unfold, as he had seen it, many times. And then, most likely, at the moment when the customary hush came over the crowd, everyone's supposed to be meditating or praying, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. There could not have been a more dramatic pause and a more dramatic announcement than that in those circumstances. In some minds, Jesus destroyed the sanctity of the ceremony, but in truth, it was the capstone and the fulfillment of the day. Because as Paul teaches us in Hebrews, Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this stuff. Yes. If any man truly thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. In the Lord's statement that day, he reminded the nation and he reminded us of our true spiritual condition. When Israel was led by God out of Egypt, it was into the wilderness. They didn't go straight to the promised land. 
The Lord had some lessons to teach these people, and it was going to take a long time. It was going to take a generation to teach Israel these lessons. So Israel lived in tabernacles. And when they ate the food that they had brought with them from Egypt, they were empty, hungry, thirsty. One of God's lessons is that this world is a miserable place. It is a desert place. It is a wilderness. It is a wasteland. This is a world filled with burning, fiery serpents and scorpions, enemy armies, locust plagues, disastrous storms that could sweep away booths and sweep away the people in those booths. Sure, the desert has its own special beauty, and the mountains, and the sea, but each of these places are dangerous places for people who are not prepared to dwell in them. This world is an arid desert, and without water from God's rock, we shall die a slow, painful death. Or perhaps more theologically correct, we're already dead walking around in this desert. We all know our need of water, but not everyone is aware they need spiritual water as well as physical water. Everyone knows we need water, but rather than looking to the Lord for our supply, we look elsewhere. The subject of need and supply is found throughout the Word of God, even in the context of, of water. Uh, I suppose it began with Israel in the wilderness. Isaiah particularly liked this theme, came up several times in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 55, he said, as God's prophet, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. As I've already mentioned, uh, part of the ceremony in Jesus' day probably included a quote from Isaiah chapter 12. Let me give you verse number 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. The poets, David, Asaph, and others in the Psalms referred to this same theme. Psalm 42, 2. My soul thirsteth after God, for the living God... And I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee. This is a thirsty land. How did the Lord Jesus first speak to the woman of Samaria? It was about water. About thirst. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. This living water is basically what the Lord is talking about here in chapter 7. There's nothing more sad than humanity's misunderstanding of its real condition. I'm just not educated. I'm just not in the right circumstances. 
My mother beat me. Now, you have spiritual problems that only the Lord can solve. Yes. As Solomon said, the misery of man is great upon him. Every six-year-old knows the misery of thirst. Why do we forget that misery? What is it that Israel has done over the years? And what is it that we usually do to meet our thirst? Jeremiah put it this way. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory, Jehovah, for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah chapter 2. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who knew every heart of every person in the temple grounds that day, it was probably several thousand people, who also knows your heart better than you do, Jesus knew that the ceremonies of Israel really provided nothing. There was no faith in the Lord through these ceremonies. This was all religion, like the ceremonies of Catholicism or the rituals of the Baptists. It, there's no salvation in these things. About the time that the priest was pouring out the ceremonial water, Christ created a scene, standing up and perhaps pointing to the priest. Hey, if any of you thirst, then I'm coming to me and drink. Shook people up. If any man thirst, and in truth you all thirst, whether you know it or not, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Even before this festival, in uh, John chapter 6, the Lord said to the Jews, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Yes. In addition to pointing to the true condition of humanity, in what Jesus did, we see who he is. First, he's not any ordinary man, and there is no thirst in his soul whatsoever. While being truly man through his virgin birth, his father was uniquely God. That's probably not well said. This makes Christ Jesus above all ordinary men. He is a God-man. As the theologians say, he's the theanthropic person through the hypostatic union. He's both man and God. Biblically, as the angel said to Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, not the Son of Man. When Jesus said, He that cometh 
to me, he that believeth on me, he set himself infinitely apart from all the rest of us. Yes. yes. Neither is there salvation in any other. Right. There's none other name yeah. under heaven given yeah. among men whereby we must be saved. Yeah. Also in this statement, the infinite Son of God declared that he was over and above all of these rituals out here. If the people had just witnessed and chanted scriptures declaring their need of water, the water of God, what audacity did Jesus express when he said, Hey, everybody, look at me. Get your eyes off that water over there. Come look at me. If you are still thirsty after all of this, come to me to be quenched, filled, satisfied. The Lord Jesus was saying, I am the source of everything that you truly need. Don't go anywhere else. I will meet your every need. Elsewhere he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Therefore, come unto me and drink. Several times during his life, Christ was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of putting himself into the place of God. In John 10, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answering them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not. Blasphemy. That's why we're ready to stone you. Because thou being a man makest thyself God. What Jesus said at the Feast of Tabernacles was in essence the same sort of statement. Same sort of thing. At his trial, at that kangaroo court where they said, off with his head, uh, the priest said to his minions, ye have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they condemned him to be guilty of death. Many times during his life, this accusation of blasphemy could have been brought up. Even though we don't have that word here in chapter 7, we do have that thought in the minds of many of those people. Consider once again Jesus' words, he that believeth on me. It means whosoever will trust me. Over and over again, the Lord said this sort of thing. And it means far more than believe what I am telling you. It is believe in me. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. Believe on me and I will fill you with the water of eternal life. Again, in in John chapter 6, the Lord said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. On me. These are... The words of a lunatic or the infinite son of God. And the latter is the truth. Jesus said, come, consider the invitation. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Any man. I know you ladies sometimes feel left out 
in regard to some of these scriptures, all these references to men and not to you, be assured that is not the case. This is an invitation to anyone, yes. everyone. It means if anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And when I say anyone, I mean everyone. Jesus was speaking to a vast crowd of people, perhaps several thousand, without any hint of restriction. There were Pharisees there. There were Sadducees. There were godly people who claimed neither party. There were Hebrew-speaking people there. This is one of the national festivals, so there were Aramaic people there, probably people speaking Greek. Maybe some Romans were there as, as well, proselytes. There were probably children there. There were grandmothers there. This was the court of the women. Anyone could enter, assuming they claimed to worship the Lord. It didn't matter if there were publicans who heard him. It didn't matter if harlots heard him. Even Sumerians or Palestinians. The people in Gaza need the gospel as much as the people of Jerusalem. Jesus said, come unto me if you're thirsty. Just as elsewhere he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will yes. give you rest. And suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for as such is the kingdom of God. And speaking of children, they're usually not the least bit shy when, when they're thirsty. I'm thirsty. They let us know. Parents don't often know exactly how dehydrated they are, especially spiritually. Everyone. Everyone without Christ is utterly dehydrated, empty of spiritual things. If a man realizes his need, if any man will admit to his need, come to me. If any man thirst, you all thirst. Now will you admit it? The truth is, Christ might have said, the truth is you're all dying of thirst. Come unto me and drink. Leave your water bottles at the broken cisterns. Walk away from those dry wells. Here is the supply. Come. One of the most important, one of the most potent words of, of the scripture. Come to the Savior. Come as you are. Come where you are. You don't need to go forward in church to be saved. Right. Jesus says, come. But as, as the Lord's spokesman, I say, go to the Savior. Yeah. You don't need me unless you have questions. Would like me to talk with you? You need the Savior. Yes. Jesus says, come. I say, go to the Savior. Come ye every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy in the Lord. And we just sang that a minute ago. Then finally the Lord appends a promise to his invitation. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John, who was there at the time, John who has recorded this for us today, knowing a lot more than the rest of the Jews in that courtyard that day, went on to explain. But this 
spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Perhaps this is taking my message a step beyond necessary. But the Spirit obviously wanted us to have this information. So he tells us, when dying souls, when souls nearing eternity without the Savior, come to Christ for life, they become new creatures. They aren't just reformed so they can go back to whatever they were doing before. It's not that their, their blackboard has been wiped clean and now they can start scribbling all over it again. No, they are new creatures in Christ. New of a different kind. Spiritual creatures. Whereas they had been empty and void and utterly useless, now in Christ... They are much like him. If any man come to me, I will meet his thirsty needs. And now that you have come to me, out of thy belly shall flow the same living water. We become ambassadors of the Savior. The child of God becomes a conduit of the water himself. A means of sharing the gift of God's spiritual life. The grace of God is a gift more blessed than nearly anything else because it is really one of those gifts that keeps on giving and giving and giving. We might look at John or Peter or Philip as examples. When they came to the fountain of life, they became filled with life and soon began to share Christ with others. That is what salvation does. And we might use that to test whether or not we have been to the fountain of life. Whether or not we have been filled and our thirst has been quenched. Do you love the Savior? Do you love those who love the Savior? Do you long to share the blessings of Christ with others? Was there a day when you were excited about this new life that you had and you wanted to express it by way of baptism? Do you yearn for the Lord's glory in your life? Such things indicate the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Out of thy soul, out of thy belly shall flow this living water. Have you heard the invitation of the Lord at some point in your life, was there a day when you heard Jesus say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All ye that thirst, come unto me and drink. Has there been that day in your life? Are you a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus? Answer the question. Yes. Please stand up.